I'll come out and say it. I know there was a tradition around Halloween to prank one of the teacher's houses. And I know I'm no one's favorite. But fair warning, I start drinking the moment that final bell rings. And I'd hate to be the child-sized egg-hucking creature of the night that meets that level of drunk in battle. have to imagine this with all of the really spooky sound effects and atmosphere I'll add in pose. <laughs> pose. <laughs> Once upon a Kentucky evening, a boy in mask chases little girls screaming through the halls of haunted house with comic sans galore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I need to take this backing, for it seems the context is lacking. Let's go two hours back backtracking to the boy at Roadside Shore. Ignoring visitors to his family's haunted house, he's working door. Not allowed to work inside, he must do this and nothing more. Donning mask of dime store making, his exclusion overtaking, his desire leaving him aching to be involved on the ground floor. Eagerly, he asks his dad, can he help out the Berber pad? But disappointment leaves him sad as the request his dad ignores. You're too young to work the house, maybe next year, he implores. Go to bed, Eddie, and don't explore. Ignoring father and curious sheriff, for this Eddie is no serif, but rather Michael Myers ripoff parading on familiar shore. In the house, he goes regardless, finds the girl lost and quite guardless. She asks him with some scared catharsis to find the family she calls for. Instead, he chases lank and wordless, living out his fantasy score. He will be a Berber or nothing more. Now it seems, but five min later, we've caught up to beginning's instigator. Boy chases girl into wooden stake whose placement is quite poor. <laughs> now she stands there slowly bleeding and his bloodless he is feeding. So the sequence now proceeding follows with excessive gore. He picks up surprise machete from the haunted house's floor. Now decapitated and nothing more. <laughs> To the cornfield, Eddie fleeing, establishing shot of woman screaming. Mother finds him nearly peeing. We need to go, she does implore. So we cut 20 years later. Again, this film's an imitator. From hiding, Eddie must now return to the home he left before. What transpires is the film we will now today explore. It's video high we do it for. So come along for slasher antics. Plot-wise, we won't bore you with semantics. Just know he tries to kill a frat whose national they must account for. To make some money, they throw a party. Unfortunately, they aren't too smarty and agree to make a haunted house where twas murder years before. But the mysterious man who gives the key can't be related, that's for sure. Merely a coincidence. And nothing more. Welcome to the House of Horror.
So, ladies and skeletons, boys and ghouls, welcome to a very Halloween episode of Video High, or should I say, Video Die? (laughs) Today we're discussing 1991's Haunted Ween, a Halloween movie that seems to take place in the middle of summer, which is fitting because we're recording this episode in the middle of summer, but try not to think about that too, too hard. I see everyone is dressed up in their finest Halloween duds. Let's do the soul call. (laughs) Josh Goff. This movie taught me more about the economics of frats than I ever needed to know. (laughs) Casey Demon. This is a movie I'm very excited to jiggle it, jack it, play with it. Uh, You know, what I've been doing for the past four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And Greg Phantom. Hmm, thrills, chills, and kills are on tonight's agenda. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like between Jamie's poem and the theme song to this movie, (laughs) we don't need to say anything else. That's like a completed art form. Haunting Ween. Do you mean the theme song to Halloween or the montage (laughs) song that they use? I mean, dying to start the show. Oh, you mean Radar Love. (laughs) (laughs) It is literally Radar Love. Not since Busted Up have we heard <laughs> such lyrical genius. Yes, if you have your own music. <laughs> if you're not using the karaoke track to another song. Listen, all my songs are ripoffs of other songs. I think more than any movie that we've done so far, this one lives up to the production company name, Hometown Productions. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. Felt like I was really seeing into these people's lives. <laughs> I really got a sense of them. And it looks like somebody's iMovie. It starts out, and the video toaster effects of Lords of Magic are epic and wonderful. And the video toaster <laughs> effects they use here are just sad. <laughs> and Comic Sans. <laughs> so much Comic Sans. The spookiest font. Listen, it's 1991. There's only one font, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, We haven't gotten to the renaissance that is papyrus yet, so we have to settle for Comic Sans. Think of the horror. Think of the moment of living in a time before Comic Sans was ironic. (laughs) Can you even conceive of such a time? Like every good horror movie, we open with a guy in a Halloween store monster mask chasing a little girl through a red hallway. It tells you everything you need to know. It's but red. it doesn't, because then we have to flash back to two <laughs> hours two earlier. hours! <laughs> I almost dropped my notes then when I was like, oh God, what could possibly have happened in these two hours that would be at all interesting? The answer is nothing. <laughs> Eddie, who is the kid wearing the mask, reads a magazine in the front gate of this uh, haunted house. Kids ride up in a truck, they mock him, and then they do the Sigmify handshake for reasons that will be apparent much, much later in the film. Oh, and I've just caught that. I missed that yeah, plot yeah. point. <laughs>
It's so self-deprecating. They spend the next, like, three minutes just everyone hates Eddie's mask. And I was like, movie, have some respect for your art department. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you chose that mask. Can we describe it? Because I can't. <laughs> uh, the first thing you have to focus on is the shock of orange hair it has. It looks like yeah. one of those carnival clowns that you throw a ball at and it falls over, but yes. with, like, a kabuki... Green g- goblin. Devil. Yeah. yeah. Devil situation. It's like the head of the truck in Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. Yes. Literally Green Goblin. <laughs> right. It's like Beetlejuice when he becomes a snake. <laughs> if you had left that model, like, out in the sun all summer. In a hot Bowling Green Kentucky summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's wearing this mask. And he's doing his best Michael Myers impression, where, like, people will, like, ask him questions and he just stands there heavily breathing and it's like well i just asked you how you were doing but all right eddie do your thing this is a kid who we've just been established by a car full of people who sort of alternatively like bully him and then like hey you're a freak you're a chump here's our secret handshake you're our best friend forever bye (laughs) (laughs) every man in this movie loves the frat like it's the most important thing in their life i mean it is kentucky (laughs) right but because they're from a boy's age from eddie's age trained to be like these guys are having the most fun (laughs) they're the coolest they throw the best parties They have the most secret handshake, which they will dole out to anyone, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, and I don't know if it was just the quality of the version I was watching, but... It's just a, like, up-and-down regular handshake, right? <laughs> that was clearly obvious. Do you think they were, like, slipping a, like, middle finger, tickling each other's palm or something? Because, to me, it didn't look secret. <laughs> it looked like, hey, how you doing? And then the little girl who he slaughters five minutes, no, two hours later, drives by, says nothing, and it's pointless. She gives him doe eyes. Yeah, sure. Wait, 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 wait. Let's hold on a second. <laughs> I need to assess something right now before we move forward with, frankly, this entire podcast. (laughs) Did you guys like this movie or not? Oh, God, no. What? I did. I loved it. I loved it. Josh. (laughs) Oh, I I hated it with a burning passion. There's always one of us. That's just a trend. Like one person. Except for Strike Commando. Yeah. (laughs) And Lords of Magic. And Busted Up. And Busted Up. (laughs) All right. We have a type, obviously. I will say there are two scenes in this movie that I was in love with. That I was like, this is the movie I want to see, and I want this movie, and I have a pitch for it later on. Okay. Hollywood, call me. Josh Roth, movie doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I like this also because you live in Hollywood, so you often get calls from Hollywood. No, we all keep our phone numbers out <laughs> oh, here, shit, Greg. That's fair. Yeah, when you see it and it says West Hollywood, you're like, well, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I found this to be a consummate work of genius. Is that too much to say? I think it's a great concept. Josh's argument is later is going to be super fair because like, there's a way to do this movie better but considering what it was i love the concept of this movie i mean a kid who wants to work in his family's haunted house so badly but doesn't give him the chance and then 20 years later gets to live out the fantasy by literally (laughs) killing people in it like that's dope and everyone thinks it's a haunted house yeah that's i mean that's the idea is the like killer loose in the haunted house and no one knows if it's real or not yeah and i love that if that were the movie
the sheriff drives by and also makes fun of Eddie's mask just to lay it on real. It's a really thick. dumb mask. And then Eddie walks up to the House of Horrors, and that's where his dad tells him he's too young to work there, and immediately leaves the people that he just let in. <laughs> that's what I was yeah. His shift was done for the night. So. I I will tell you, I worked in a haunted house for a number of years, and that is bad etiquette. <laughs> the actors leave. After everyone has left. (laughs) (laughs) Who is he leaving in charge? (laughs) Nobody. We never see haunted house-ness. We see one vignette. We see a bunch of goths who are just sort of standing around, and they fail to scare the little girl. (laughs) It is unremarkable, at least in terms of being an effective haunted house. It is rad looking. This is clearly their their family's bread and butter, but they could hire some better scare actors. Like the sort of slasher movies that came before it, you are presented with a universe in which you can't escape, and what this movie presents is a universe you can't escape because you're in Kentucky. (laughs) In that same regard, you not only can't escape it, but you also have to pay five bucks for it. (laughs) It presents the idea, like all slashers do, this is a killer you can't get away from. This is death coming for you. There's nothing you can do about it. Michael Myers wants to kill you. He's going to kill you unless you're Jamie Lee Curtis. You, and you're not, damn it. You are not Jamie Lee Curtis. And what this movie does great is by the end, it shows us witnessing through the medium of a slasher movie, death, incoming, unstoppable death, and then pulls the rug out from under it. I just really think that this movie is great. Like, great, not in a ha-ha, laugh-laugh, isn't it bad great like in the same existential vein as a sam raimi but much more willing to drag sam raimi into (laughs) no how dare you willing to show the ridiculousness of like gory horror it has to be silly because if you saw this movie just plainly you'd go mad (laughs) (laughs) it lays too bare what we are as people (laughs) we laugh at the demise of our brothers and sisters even though we know it's coming for us not laugh but Cheers for yeah, yeah. Like, bl- bloodthirsty. Oh, the bloodlust of this town. <laughs> oh, right, and what, yeah. that only comes later. Like this version of the haunted house is the lamest haunted house you'll ever see, probably on purpose. But, but isn't that saying something? That the only dream this kid has is to work in something as underwhelming as this. Oh, and what's what's yeah. what's so great is that first scene when he when he goes through the aluminum siding into the vent to end up in his future kill room that like while he's in the vent and he's trying to scare the girl all he's just doing is repeating very blandly Man, woman, person, <laughs> camera, <laughs> television. <laughs> He's just Rice Krispies, corn pops. Right. So he finds her and leads her to this room. And her mom, who literally was only there with 
her. Yeah. Is, has somehow lost her. And she was like, one step behind her. Guys, she was following the group. Yeah, the group of fucking ding-dongs. <laughs> yeah, just but, like, who were just like, oh, did you see that? Like, <laughs> it's just bad parenting. This follows a long string of bad 90s parenting that we've seen in these movies. Oh, yeah. Right. Latchkey is an understatement. <laughs> we could write a fucking... That's it. All right, so our Patreon account is launching, and uh, we will be writing Video High's Guide to Parenting. <laughs> That'll be the first. If you if you give us $150. <laughs> you can read this term paper. Yeah. Now, at this point, we've sort of backtracked to the opening of the film, which, that was not two hours. That was five minutes. Five <laughs> minutes. How else are they going to get butts in seats, man? You got to start with the, with the creepy, kooky mask. The movie's trying to get away from itself. It like starts like, oh shit, no, two hours earlier. And the player's like, ah, 20 years later. Okay, go 20 years later. And then. 20 years and one day later. 20 years, one day later. And then we meet Kurt and Melanie, and she's like, why do we never do anything anymore? And he's like, we'll go do something alone tomorrow. I promise that we go tomorrow. <laughs> then the movie finds them, and they're like, ah, we gotta go to the other side of the river. <laughs> If we go to the other side of the lake, the movie won't meet us there. <laughs> and then it finds the haunted house, and the movie's like, phew, okay, now we made it. The movie is It Follows, but it's the plot. Right. <laughs> they gotta keep running away from the plot. Uh, <laughs> and then they find themselves in the old haunted house, and they're like, okay, all right, we made it. <laughs> Let's cool out. The movie can start now, everyone. But you could have just said five minutes earlier. We'd laugh them out of town if it said five minutes earlier. <laughs> I laughed them out of town with two hours so she runs away from him in the not spooky mask into a spike just yeah. impaling yeah. herself and then he grabs a machete and chops off her no, head but you're understanding no. this because i love his face of like eh, might as well finish the job i guess <laughs> that's my question <laughs> not, not, why not not only grabs a machete, materializes a machete. He wills it into being. It is yeah. a soul-bound machete that he summons from the nether nether. This is, yeah. He grabs it out of the upside down. Yeah. This is the story of a slasher, of a slasher movie who is born of legend. Like, this is like a fireside story that is told to, like, Dutch children. It is, to- later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's something about this which is... Is mystical, and then the machete forms in his hand, <laughs> thus, like he's been honor bound to the duty of slasherdom. One day, everyone will know the name and cower in fear of Eddie Berber. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Gerber, but with a B. <laughs> yeah, it's like Eddie Bauer, but with a Berber. <laughs> It's like Bieber without the eye. <laughs> that would be a totally scary name in like a gothic London horror story. Yeah, Eddie Berber. <laughs> the case of Eddie Berber, <laughs> the murderer of Fleabus Street. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ruins your murder boner like imagining your mom. Like, that's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> like he was totally down to keep murdering and his mom showed he's like mom it's a party <laughs> <laughs> the magical realism involved in Eddie killing a little girl leaving all of the evidence there <laughs> and then somehow being in the town for 20 years no, no, and they, no they one were, they weren't in the town they were in like three towns over I yeah think. they I were mean, within like, state listen. lines <laughs> no, no guys they were in the 70s <laughs> this movie cuts 20 years later to my favorite character of the movie, Eddie's hair. That hair was feathered. <laughs> and then we see the mother in her dingham gown get, uh, get the vapors to death. <laughs> yes. So she just collapses onto the ground. She could wait for that firewood any longer. Eddie, yeah. where are you with that wood? Oh, I'm dead. I mean, it's incredibly unclear if she has a heart attack, she has a hemorrhage, like something happens. Her brain popped. Uh, and then he finds her from, he comes back from chopping wood and he gives his best Vader. And this is when we cut to Top Hill State College. Regiwas, Kentucky. Where a frat party is happening at Sigma Phi. When we get to 20 years later and we start with Eddie in his outfit and then we cut to the frat party, I was like, this movie should have been called fucking Haunted Jeans, baby. Like, <laughs> we got some fucking denims. No, this had the same like vignettes that we saw in Future Kill, where it was just right. like panning across these like comedic beats at this party and like none of them landed. Well, zero. They're like listening to like MIDI honky tonk <laughs> rock and roll CDs, and like when they were like, "Oh, we're broke." It's like, well, that makes sense why you're listening to like Bill's like mix CD, where he's just like, "No, I made this song. It's 45 minutes of the same thing over and over again, <laughs> and it's all set to Casio demo songs." The whole score is just like the drum beat on the Casio keyboard yeah. going. Yeah, the two exceptions are both ripoffs. The, of the yeah. Halloween theme. The <laughs> Halloween theme and Radar Love. Do, 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 do. Change two notes. We change two notes. We change two notes. It counts. Somewhere Vanilla Ice is like, you did good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this movie gives us a very in-depth look at the economics of frat life with my least favorite character in film history okay yeah oh which is kurt oh hanks hanks is my least favorite character in film history what (laughs) hanks is a hero yeah hanks is a national treasure the fact that he is the hero of this movie makes me hate him even more i love the fact that at the beginning of the movie hanks is wearing a shirt that says survivor on it and then he does and I was like, I was like that is the boldest fucking move I've ever seen in a horror movie. And thank you for saying Hanks because I like wasn't sure if it was Hanks, Inks, Eggs, like this, her? this accent, Hillbilly Don Knotts. <laughs> Oh, 
When I think Halloween movies, I think revoked membership based on <laughs> past dues. Listen, that, that is... is the upper middle class white boy's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense why like all these guys go on to become congressmen. <laughs> <laughs> it just confirms so many delicious stereotypes. Kirk doesn't care. Like He's very flippant about their membership from the fraternity getting revoked. He's like, well, I guess we got to raise the money. And like, yeah, everything has always worked out for Kurt. And it will continue to work out. It's a yep. critique of what this character's life is like. It's so crazy. Not only does he care about nothing, does everything work out for him forever. He shakes off death. <laughs> he, in this movie that is ostensibly about like watch as people die he and his beautiful friends just like who brush their shoulders off and like come back <laughs> to life so yeah to describe kurt kurt is a pair of boat shoes that a witch <laughs> cursed <laughs> to <laughs> become human he knows what it means to be human, but he doesn't quite nail it always. <laughs> <laughs> One of the side characters of the film, a drunk guy who used the letter from the fraternity board to plug up a hole in his shoe? He was a baffling side character. <laughs> this movie is filled with nothing but baffling side characters. And we see him drinking a keg and he has like drunk goggles and he looks over at this girl who's there and not horrifying looking like just this woman and then it's like drunk goggles to a beautiful woman he said one more drink i'm going home with her but also a woman who looked relatively the same yes. like there was <laughs> a, the same woman in a different wig like it was like they gave her a right. blonde wig i'm so upset that you aren't finding this as brilliant as i, I mean much like the town we are rooting for the murders of all of these people right but also like but they don't come we don't get it they don't go to the fireworks factory a couple of them do i want them to die and i don't get it yeah josh you are presented with yourself at the end of this movie how does it feel <laughs> <laughs> How does yeah, it I mean, feel to see yourself so captured in a film? <laughs> Kill them! So Kurt is chatting with his girlfriend, Melody, who's jealous of his friends and the time he spends with them. This guy is fucking hard for leadership positions. <laughs> Doesn't want to do anything, no. but, wa but wants everyone to follow him anytime he does want to do anything. And Melody's like, uh, what if we like hang out, spend some time together? And he's just like, well, that sounds cool, except where's all my buddies going to be? Like <laughs> Kurt is awful in all the ways you're saying but there are like moments where the movie clearly tries to be like he's trying that he tries to get away with melanie and then the frat finds him on like a on a boat on it's just on a, a barge like, it really puts the bar in barge also <laughs> And like, she's like rightfully upset because she's like, this was supposed to be our time alone together. You know how women are. You need to spend time with them, pay attention to them, don't feed them after midnight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the movie like seems to go to pains to show that he's awful, but yet still 
dashing. Dash, yeah, and maybe that's just it. Maybe it's just the hunky effect. He's awful. He deserves whatever comes to him. But then that's what I'm supposed to feel in like a slasher movie. And so at the end, when we, again, I'm going to keep going back to the fact that like when the crowd is cheering for his death, it like did genuinely make me think at least that it's like, oh, right, these movies I'm supposed to like be hoping for the gruesome murder of a person. Yeah, he's a guy who's beautiful and got everything forever and is rich and has faced zero consequences and is like grown up like it's like totally misogynist, awful, a jerk, takes from everybody, is so irresponsible doesn't think about another human being, but it still is like, oh, fuck, he's dying now. He's getting, like, cut up or electrocuted. Mm-hmm. I felt my complicity in the movie violence confronted. You felt haunted by the whole situation. I felt, I felt, <laughs> haunted ween? <laughs> I felt real haunted ween. I think it's a super fair point. I will say it would have been nice to have, uh, it's a trope, but it's a trope that works, to have then also the character you are rooting for who's, like, not a terrible person that you don't want to die because when you don't have that, when you don't have the Jamie Lee Curtis, when you just have the Kurt is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you do just find yourself rooting for the bad guy at the end to kill everyone. Like you kind of want someone there to foil the baddie. Counterpoint, Hanks. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> no, yeah, that you're does forgetting not help about your case. That, does, that does not help your case. Do you realize how much we are all Hanks? Like, if we are close to any character in this movie, it's Hanks. Uh, so, with this is where we get introduced to Hanks. Kurt calls a meeting of, I don't know, the Board of Frat. Uh, B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> Kurt puts him in charge. And this is when, just from the beginning, I I hate Hanks so much. <laughs> I, really, I really don't get it. So, so Josh, what I'm hearing is that you hate yourself. <laughs> no, no, I hate Hanks. Is what I'm saying. No, no, Doc, you're not listening. I, I hate no, Hanks. No, 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 no. You are see because you are young, and I am young. We are all young. Yeah. Wait, we're not young. I mean, how young? Are, I mean, like I'm uh, 31. You know. like. <laughs> I guess these guys are kind of 31. They're playing young, but they're not really that young. <laughs> they're playing very young. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Hanks definitely didn't always... Land? Land. Yeah, sometimes he played a little rough. Yeah, he is swinging for the fences yeah. with every line, but every line is grating on my psyche. But he did have a sort of, like, big juice box commercial energy. Like, he did have, like, a... <laughs> He was he was sprightly in a like very nineties way. <laughs> I'm Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, what's great is that you're making the point for us. He's right. <laughs> exactly. He's delightful. Josh is the Frank Grimes like raging against the Homer Simpson who right. is Hanks of this movie. <laughs> the guy who played Hanks feels like he could have been like a regional popsicle salesman. Yeah, in the Antarctic, because that guy could sell anything. <laughs> 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 the first scene with him, I was like, oh, this is this going to be rough. And, but the more he was in the movie, the more I was just like, I'd totally. fucking hang with Hanks. Like, totally. Because I guess maybe because he's the only like non-douchebag of the group. Like yeah. he, He's the one who seems like childlike and sprightly, as, as you mentioned, Casey. He's like the eight-year-old and all of us all growed up and like real... <laughs> 
fucking Kentucky. I do want to see him pronounce Yonko Thag for us. Yonko Thag! Let's not pretend that he doesn't have awesome goddamn moments in this movie. Like when they get to the house and the cop shows up and we get that fucking baller ass 14 millimeter focal lens shot of like <laughs> Hank dead center and all the party like wide eyed looking at the police officer and the police officer says, That's like a good joke. And then later, he fucking wields a flamethrower. What do you want, Josh? <laughs> I want him on the other end of that flamethrower. <laughs> this character is a goddamn hero. That's He's... the worst part. He is the hero. <laughs> yeah. Another in a long line of films that we've watched that doesn't have a protagonist and actively wants you to hate all of the main characters and then feel bad for them at the end. It's just asking us to empathize with people we don't like, which is maybe yeah. a message that we need or don't need right now? I honestly don't know, actually. <laughs> we have horror tropes for a reason. And this movie, it's aware enough of other horror movies to completely and utterly rip them off, but not aware enough. What works in them? Yes. Like, it understands slasher movies and tries to, like you say, run away from it and succeeds by running away from it as far as humanly possible and not playing on the tropes like if you're going to be a self-aware horror movie you have to lean into the tropes and use them to your advantage but that's not true the killer returns to the scene of his murder where he was damaged that's what i'm saying they try to be like a self-aware horror movie where it's like oh the killer returns see we like in every movie it's like mike myers he returns yeah baby but instead of being on the nose about it he just does it but it's like a setup and a punchline there's no what is going on in the middle that you're missing Honestly, a shot that would have been genuinely scary if they hadn't used the like book on tape, turn the page music to signal it. <laughs> was... When she walks by the window. Yeah, when Kurt and Melanie, they find the old Berber house and Kurt thinks, wow, that, this would be a great place to have a haunted house. This is a way we could raise money for the frat. And as they're inspecting it, Melanie walks around it. Tracking shot on her passes a window with Eddie in a Halloween mask in it and she doesn't notice but it moves quick enough and I was like that's what would have been a pretty good jump scare if it wasn't like piccolo music <laughs> it <wasn't> like, <laughs> and I will say that shot is good she walks past this hole in the wall where there is a Halloween mask and walks past and it's not there anymore and then she like snags herself on a screen door and she starts bleeding and like, all right, all right, let's leave. As they leave, a hand reaches out from the screen door and like caresses the blood and picks it back up. If there's anything that I found unbelievable, it's that a native Kentuckian would make such a rookie mistake as to cut themselves on a screen door. <laughs> they, they were born in screen doors. <laughs> That's how babies are delivered in Kentucky. <laughs> Did you not find that awesome? I found that No, that God no. Maybe it was <laughs> it was either that it was in bright sunny daylight. So was Midsummer. Yes, and Midsummer was stylistically awesome. <laughs> and also had terrible third act problems. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. There goes our Ari Aster listeners. <laughs> yeah. Where I was coming from is Eddie the little boy. Like you said, Jamie, he grows up the unattainable. He's reading these monster magazines. The unattainable beyond him is this haunted house. And then he, seeing his moment, gets a chance to go 
be scary. That's like what he dreams of being. And then he kills a girl, sees a girl get impaled first by accident, then something clicks in his head. It's like, oh, this is actually what I've always wanted to do. And he like kills that person. But then his mother gets him and he goes and lives in the middle of nowhere 20 years being like a ticking time bomb. And then just he sees that blood and we see just through the hand performance, this <laughs> caress of like something returns, something comes back and the door slowly shuts. Okay, here's how you do this scene better. Because I, I think you're right and what you're saying is interesting and the film doesn't give us any of that. The way you do that scene better is you have complete and utter silence. You really slow push in on that hand caressing the blood and you hear very loudly like... <sighs> And it pulls back. You don't have weird Casio music and just uh, a hold on it without any movement. It was the time. (laughs) You know, I like I felt like the horny labored breathing was implied. Yes, it's the things that happen off screen that are the best. Yeah, this movie's this movie's jazz, baby. It's the notes between the notes. It's the horror you don't see. And we know from that moment that our characters are doomed. So you'd think we'd go right to that. That, but instead there is a party in between those two <laughs> moments. That was when the movie really jumped 20 years. Like the movie that I could have sworn was set in the 70s suddenly has has the side and everyone's dressed like they're in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like the counting counting crows are just performing for them. Right. It's and the party gets genuinely like realistic. And here's my question. Did the filmmakers throw this party to get this footage? Because that's the only reason that any of this feels real. Fucking awesome. I hope they did. <laughs> if they did, I will I give them credit. Because this party does feel genuinely much more interesting and alive than the first party we see. Now the party has like genuinely realistic a band's playing, so it like makes sense that they're sort of like not talking to each other. Their conversations have to be close and like yells to each other. They're playing beer pong or whatever they're doing like a table game this party scene has so many little brush strokes of genuine realism there's like a perfect joke in that we're watching side characters talk while a band called the side is playing (laughs) yes Yes. We do go into now like the most blatant Halloween ripoff sequence that we have in the movie, which is tracking Eddie again from the neck down as he comes out of a van that's pulled up outside of the party. We only see him basically his monster POV. We see a silhouette of him on a sign passing through. We see his footsteps. We never see his face. So it's very much trying to evoke that Michael Myers imagery. I loved that too. Like the the fact that it was a silhouette of him walking across the fraternity sign that looked so much like Mike Myers. Like it was just <laughs> like, this is the profile of your all yours favorite stabby boy, Mike Myers. It doesn't feel like it was just blatant ripoff. It feels like it uh, was it but was this purposeful. Is where we get the literal ripoff of the Halloween theme. <laughs> 
the one note different Halloween theme. It felt more psychological for us. It felt like it was playing us. I mean, at least call it an homage. <laughs> Don't say they didn't purposefully rip this off. Have your own theme. If you're gonna do it, have your own theme. You can't just use the other theme. I think we're gonna see a moment soon where Josh... Like a, a later Nightmare on Elm Street film jumps through the Zoom call and strangles Casey based on this. I'm not trying to upset you. I genuinely felt these things. I like you're, you're not trying to upset him, but you are. Eddie <laughs> knocks on the door and good old buddy Hanks opens it. Hell yeah. Dr- dressed as like a 1920s butler. With no pants. With no pants. we get this single shot of Hanks looking POV into the camera because we're within the head of our killer now, which is, yeah, a trope they use in Halloween as well. But there's something so great about the fact that it was so still and it lasted so long. And we got to see Hanks, this character who up until then had been Foghorn Leghorn, like it's just a Looney Tune. (laughs) We got to see them for the first time realize a little bit of horror because the shot is so still and it doesn't look down when Hanks tests him and says, do you know the Sigma Phi shake? It doesn't even break eye contact then. Do you know how horrifying that would be? If you shook hands with someone and they just stared direct, like right into your eyes the whole entire time? Oh no, it would be. And it would be more effective if they had done a handshake off screen. <laughs> but no, they're standing there very clearly not moving or handshaking. I don't, I don't know. Did you do it at all? Oh, yes. Our secret psychic handshake. Wow, you're good. <laughs> yeah. No, so yeah. So the killer overheard Kurt and Melanie talking about wanting to do a haunted house at this place, goes to the frat and gives them a key saying, it's my place. Do you think he's held on to that key for 20 years or do you think he picked it up from under the mat while uh, he was visiting ooh. the house yesterday? I think he went down to the hardware store, got a replacement key. Oh, okay. Fixed up the lock because uh, clearly this guy's good at home renovation. <laughs> that is a fucking scene I want to see is the <laughs> locksmith guy coming to the house to like fit the key again. It's just like, all right, are you sure? It's been abandoned for 20 years and he's just like staring at him. <laughs> he's like, like right. yes, no, I own this house. Wait, didn't the guy who owned this house murder a girl 20 years ago? Nope, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask again. I promise that's not a great idea. The sheriff doesn't ask that question either. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, guys, it's Kentucky. 20 years to remember one murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> one like, grisly murder. The sheriff remembers it enough to tell his daughter a couple of times around the campfire. Yeah, sure, but do you think a town would... No. Guys, people get murdered all the time. It sucks, but it's true. Yeah, you know, little girls get their heads chopped off by machetes in haunted houses. The old Berber place. All the and time. they know exactly who it was. Yeah, it's a better story than most, but I got some bad news for you. There's, there's a lot of old killing out in these this great land of ours. Which will be covered in our new 
new true crime podcast. Scary. Another important plot point of this Hellraiser fundraiser is Mel is talking with her dearest best friend of seven weeks, as she says, <laughs> yeah. who keeps encouraging Mel basically to break up with Kurt. unsolicited advice a hundred percent unsolicited advice she's like i don't want to really talk about it and she's like you should fucking break up with it she's like i don't think that's a good idea and she's like no, no no i'm fucking telling you do that's it that's the same advice you get anytime you go on reddit r relationships just as a heads up <laughs> <laughs> like hey we're having this great time like we've been together 10 years and i'm thinking should we go to like maui or oahu and everyone's like you should break up with him should, yeah <laughs> that's like listening to the delilah show on z100 they're always just <laughs> In fairness, though, if you are going to Reddit our relationships for genuine advice, you probably should just break up with whoever you're with. It's not working. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing is like, yes, this movie, the middle of it is all set up to the punchline. And while that can definitely drag, to me, it is still doing other stuff. That scene between Melanie and her friend, it had nothing to do with the plot. And because the plot is just taking its time and ratcheting up the, our expectation. Do not, not tension. Bring, yeah, okay. I was going to say, do not, not bring the word tension into no, this not, <laughs> but not But not tension in a, like, suspenseful way, but tension in a, like, a... It's like a Norm MacDonald joke. It's all leading to this one thing. Yeah, it's like, and then we had a party, and then we picked up the thing, and then we did all this stuff, and then, and then, and then, and then we all died. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is more of your drunk uncle over Passover, just rambling, 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 on about the bygone days of his frat parties yeah. for, I don't know, the entire Seder, and yeah. you just praying for sweet death to release you. <laughs> yeah, but this is that's exactly, this is folklore. It lives it's on e- whether you want it to or not, Josh. Right, it's, it's epic, and that brings us to the- The fixer-upper montage. Oh, yes, you're right, because a, a frat who is having so much trouble- raising money from their parties like we see them go from just having like a lame but free party to having a paid but awesome party to being able to ask everyone they know to fix up a house yeah hank leads an army of people in bikinis to fix up the barber house Kurt and the bros, they drive up to the house. Uh, We learn that Mel broke up with Kurt that night after her conversation, completely off screen. They go to open the door of the house and the door just falls in. As all true villains, you just give the keys to the protagonist. Let them do the work. It's just like, I could fix up the house and then invite them. Or I'll just give them the keys. They'll do all the work, and I reap the rewards. And he's watching them from the shadows. From every crawl space, from every little corner. Like, you see him in his, like, goblin-y mask. It's it's kind of like yeah. a Harry Potter goblin or Willow. I like that Eddie is very into the 
quick changes. He's just like, well, I, you know, I'm not just going to have one mask. I'm going to have 12 masks. Okay. Yeah. In my movie pitch, this is very prominent. The different masks in every scene. I love it, that idea. They should be masks that cost more than 99 cents. But it's an interesting <laughs> idea. Uh, so Hanks is leading his army of uh, bros and gals. This movie fails at making the most believable thing unbelievable, which is let's dress a house up like it's an old haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, don't even show the outside of the house. Let's dress up an already spooky looking dilapidated house as a haunted house. It'll take a montage. Well, so much of this movie is just hinting at how like, oh, spooky this house is. This house is so spooky. If anything, they make it less spooky by their repairs. They like do like a double mint gum commercial thing. Through it, and like, <laughs> right, and, and then suddenly they're like, "Well, it's open for business." Well, yeah, because the thing I know about frat boys who don't pay their dues is they really care about bringing a house up to code before they turn it into a haunted house. And you know what? They don't do a good job because this whole movie could have been saved by a solid inspector checking the aluminum siding. <laughs> oh, you got to fix this crawl space over here. Yeah. Anything could get into this. You could get yeah. murderers in here. You could get rats. You don't know what you could get in this crawl space. The whole movie hinges on this idea that they have really not checked the house thoroughly <laughs> because that way our future adult Chud Eddie can just go in and out. And no one even knows that there's this room somehow. Yeah. That he ends Everyone up just in. accidentally stumbles on it. Hey, there's yeah, another room. Wait, during their montage, they didn't even <laughs> fix up that room? No, it was such a slapdash effort. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, when they're repairing the house and you have the like shirtless buff dude like nailing things into the house, they just throw him a beer and he just starts drinking. So it's like, well, of course, there's going to be some corners cut here. People are going to snag themselves on a couple nails here and there while you're walking through. And that brings us to the fireside scene. The lake is less of a scene and more of a scene-let. It still gave me so much. They're all around a fire. They're having a very realistic seeming, like, sitting around the fire scene. There was I was no... going to say, that seemed very legitimate. Like, it's amazing how, like, 80s, 90s movies are always just like, let's have a party in the woods. And it's one dude with an acoustic guitar and, like, a handful of beers. And they're just like, this is fucking great. And he only knows the beginning to Freebird. <laughs> is it great? Is yeah. it great? I've been to that party in Asheville, North Carolina before. <laughs> 
This movie is a ballet, a pirouette of tonal shifts. Defend this line, Casey. Defend this oh, line. Yeah, I was about to read the same line. They're telling the story of what happened there 20 years ago at the Berber haunted house because the girl that Hanks has been pursuing is the daughter of the sheriff who passed this right. tale along to her. So she knows the whole story. She tells the whole story of what happened. Again, not enough to question the fact that, oh, you said the owner of this house gave you the keys? Huh. Defend yeah. this line. <laughs> He's a jerk. Yeah. A jerk we've never met before that yeah. then walks off and is dead. Sure, Josh. Yeah, when I saw that and he made the head joke, I was like, oh, that's so stupid. What a stupid movie line. But then the next scene, when we follow these two beautiful people down to the lake and they start taking their clothes off, they're embarrassed. They're weird. It's like really awkward. It's still like really like, uh, do you want to go swimming? Yeah, I kind of do. And again, in your mind, the viewer, you know what they don't. Death is coming for them. They're still kids. So she goes into the water. She walks off into the foggy, misty, cold lake. They linger on it in such a way that you think she's going to get got. You know, it wasn't a surprise, but it was at least like well set up when the impish goblin face peeks up over douchey guy's shoulder. He's like a jack-in-the-box the the way he pops up in the frame every time. Exactly. And the mask is like smiling. It's a punchline to a joke. It is like he's entering screen and being like, ha ha, never mind, death's over here. (laughs) (laughs) And then the line that chilled me to the bone... She's now naked, alone in the cold, and there is someone's about to kill her. That she has no idea. That was like an on-screen death that like chilled me. Like, is this the seventh seal? Yeah, I mean, I do think that like if you were to raise the question of like defend that line, Ferris and Joanne are ding dongs, and <laughs> they've been given like four lines to basically be like, "Hey, look at these beautiful people who we are going to explain are going to get naked for some reason because that's requisite." And they're going to die. And you're not going to feel really that bad about it. (laughs) I would say, though, to make it more effective, strip that line out and have them just be people. Again, it's the not leaning into the stereotype to become the stereotype. You're making them these doofuses. Then they're killable. But you want me to feel bad for it. But you made them doofuses. Don't make them doofuses. Because the movie, Josh. No, I totally disagree. Because the movie is about by the like big final set piece, not just feeling bad that people die it's about confronting the fact that you want people to die in horror movies i also really got down with the fact that their friends just seemingly totally forgot about them yeah (laughs) Yeah. well not hanks then we cut to the next day people are putting up signs handing out flyers for haunted ween kirk finally puts together that it's a little odd that they just randomly got the keys to this house. It is weird. Also, it's weird that Joanne and Ferris never came back last night. Yeah. Huh. 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 Should we investigate that more? No. Hanks said that Mel is friendly with Bentley at the party. Kirk gets mad at her.
Bentley's just such a perfect name for yeah. that breed of frat boy asshole to like, I shall name my son after the car he will one day drive that I will buy for him. <laughs> after the car that he was fucking conceived in. <laughs> yes. But then we see a better fixer-up montage than we had before, which is Eddie going to town on the Kuru. Oh, right. And he's yeah. way better at decorating than they are. Oh, yeah. Point of contention. Eddie's had 20 years to ruminate on this perfect version of trapping a bunch of random kids and killing them for audiences to see. You couldn't think of anything snappier than <laughs> the kill <laughs> Again, this it's is from the stark. boy who just chanted, kill Murder, blood. <laughs> like this is this yeah. is what he's got. Honestly, I would have liked that to just be written. That's like at least like yeah, because he writes in big red paint. The, the kill room. Room. Thing and yeah, he could have come up with something better. Well, it's just like it feels like he's trying to start a franchise and it's just <laughs> not working. You have to PF Chang it up a little bit. I'll show you, Dad. <laughs> you got to remember though that what Jamie said earlier is right. He hasn't twenty years been ruminating on being the perfect murderer. His dream is to work in this haunted house, and his only knowledge of it involved an actual. Blood, kill, murder. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he thinks a haunted house is. What he did in that room provided the only scream that he'd heard from the haunted house for a little while. Everyone else yeah. thought the rest of the house was kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd loved him. He yep. was like, he was a showman at the end. He got what little Eddie wanted all along was just to be a part of something. And he became, in his twisted, broken mind, the star of the show. So cars line up to get to the haunted house. <laughs> the whole town is jazzed. So jazzed. With my favorite line. The Yelp review at the end of this th out of her is <laughs> yes. going to be make or like, break. <laughs> she has a scorched earth policy to Yelp reviews. You know that. For Listen, sure. I go to Halloween Horror Nights in Los Angeles and Orlando every year. I got a real high stakes. This better be good, you frat boys. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> I paid $5 for this. That's an expensive milkshake in a movie in a couple of years. <laughs> Haunted Ween 2 is actually just the story of this lady who, after this haunted house experience, has to just seek out, like, more murderous and intense haunted houses because her, like, her taste has been so ratcheted up. She's seen, she's gotten a flavor for it. Yeah, and if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. So she's the next, uh... It's, yeah. a, it's a snuff house. When we first get to the haunted house, we see what the frat has put together as the haunted house. Yeah. It's not bad. It's better than the first one. It's better house. than it's, Much. It, what it was 20 years years ago like they actually I, I was expecting no effort and they put in a surprising amount of effort to this right. decor yeah. and I will say from this point on until about five minutes before the movie ends this is what I want and I'm here for it there's like a wall of hands that like there are some frat bros behind that like touch some people when they like walk up to it there's Dr. Slasher with a flamethrower
Yeah, Chekhov's blowtorch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They put together this pretty good haunted house. And they came up with yeah. that whole room of hands as a really clever way to grope women, yeah. I have to say. But also not just. They grope everybody. They do. That's true. <laughs> Equal opportunity groping. Then the Dr. Slasher room for movies of this time, it looked good. Yeah. <laughs> Until he like, saws the woman in half and pulls out the obvious like... Plastic legs. It looks really good. It's a genuinely pretty good like haunted house experience. And then the next room is again like a torture chamber and the people strung up are both of course the sexy women who are just the props of the frat so one of the women who's being tortured in dr slasher's laboratory has to take a pee and she goes outside and pees in the woods which is like they didn't think to make a bathroom or get like a porta lab oh, yeah. or anything no porta potty they don't have money they need this cash greg <laughs> sure seems ill-advised no. because yeah. as luck would have it she gets knocked out bonked on rushed. the head what the hell happens here eddie sneaks up behind her lifts her up by the crotch and bonks her on a tree branch above her <laughs> and that knocks her out. What's not to understand? Eddie's saying in that moment, Eddie's saying, fuck Mike Myers. I'm tougher than Mike Myers. (laughs) This movie's saying, my slasher dad can beat up your slasher dad. (laughs) Like, he is bigger. He can knock people out. Single-handedly. Right, he like twists women's necks around. All 20 years, all he's been doing, we see, we cut to him chopping wood. That's all he's been doing. (laughs) He is just like one big muscle. He's about setting small goals and achieving them. That's what I like. He, He he builds the house, he takes his time, he knocks the people out, he sets them up. And he basically just grabs like three or four people who all have to get out of their spots for some reason. And again, as someone who worked in a haunted house, you do not leave your spot unless you have a fill. Yeah. <laughs> she just gets up and they nobody's just taking go. that place. There's just mannequin yeah. legs there. You have customers coming through. They're not getting the scares. They're going to complain. They're going to want their money back. They're going to give us a bad Yelp review. So then the guy goes to get them beers and Eddie pumps the keg for him and then cold cocks him out. Sick. So he takes his unconscious victims back to the kill room. And that's just in time for the first crowd of people to stumble upon the kill room. At this point, if you haven't watched the movie and you're listening to this, drink every time they say, hey, look, there's another room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I will say the most unbelievable thing in this entire movie is that they renovated the entire house and never discovered another room. I don't know. I don't know if they ever discovered it. I think they just got lazy and were like, we've got two good rooms. We don't need to decorate a third. It's fine. There's no geography. Like, who's around this room? Right. That's what I was saying earlier. We never get a real exterior of this house. We never get a sense of, like, how big this house is which is smart because of your very complaint if we got a literally knowledge of the geometry of the house we'd be like there's no way this huge room that they aren't like (laughs) noticing any of this and admittedly it really doesn't bother me that much Kurt hasn't made it this far in his life by questioning any of the circumstances (laughs) of his life that is the power of being a rich white douchebag so we watch the first crowd of gawkers and onlookers as they stumble into Eddie's kill room now freshly stocked with new victims 
and Eddie, as if in a, like a Pat Benatar video, <laughs> does like a chainsaw dance, like does like all of this like gesticulating and like prancing around the room. So fucking stoked that finally he's having the exhibition that he'd been yes. trying yeah. for. And he's like, the critics arrived. Like there's going to be a write up about this. Showtime. Fucking perform, baby. It's awesome. <laughs> He's got panache. It is legitimately great. Where he is putting on a show. Yep. It, this is his dream. And he chainsaws the the girl who's begging for her life. It's great because he like doesn't silence any of them. He always gives them the chance to basically say the same thing. About- Then these people are screaming for their lives, which is making me feel like this is horrifying to think that this is happening is like really horrifying. And then to see the people cheering the first time this happens and it doesn't really ever, it, even though it, the same thing happens again, it, it doesn't get old because no. this, this was the dry run on characters we know nothing about. Now it's like, now what are you going to feel, baby? Like, the movie's <laughs> being like, all right, now we're bringing the main characters in. I disagree. I think by the second time, it does get old. I agree. I think the first run is awesome because it is so weird and sort of, like, feels almost out of the movie in a way. It's sort of stylistically speaking, this movie's vacillated between super-duper light, animal house frat comedy, and then, like, fairly serious 80s horror and this is this really lies somewhere in between this is sort of evocative of like the second texas chainsaw massacre where it's like over the top and goofy and gory and it's i think no surprise considering there's literally a texas chainsaw massacre 2 standee in the background <laughs> while he's chainsawing oh my god woman. is there i didn't see oh that. yeah yeah right yeah. Well, right behind her is a huge leather face oh, that's, awesome. that's amazing uh, from the second movie and it toes this line of being like sort of winkingly and knowingly over the top that I thought was very fun and very funny but when we got it the second time I felt like the momentum had stalled because Mm. it was just like I know where we're going now. We assumed that like of course yes he's gonna kill them in front of people but didn't realize it would be this like big elaborate show where like he has themes to the kills (laughs) like oh the baseball one is so good. It's so great. Yeah he like literally shoves a baseball into into this dude's mouth and he un Unfurls like a scorecard. Kills, strikes, balls. And it's so cartoonish and so over the top and it's and it's awesome. And it's in that moment that I'm like, this is peak what this movie should be. Mm-hmm. And then when we return to it in, you know, a scene or so, it's less elaborate, it's less fun, it's less funny. And you don't really get the sense. Like, you know that they're going to be saved somehow, but it takes a long time kind of getting there. And I felt like it ended up losing steam because of it. Yeah. Well, I-, I think the flaw is because these are our quote unquote heroes 
it's Mel, it's Bentley, and it's Kurt all together in the room. And I right. think if there was more of an emotional state, if these were characters we had built up a little more, as we were saying, to like, it would have been a more tense scene. Instead, we're just like, just kill him. Just kill him at this point. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm, I, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was, because uh, because we're, we're skipping over the fact that like, while the first kill room is going on, after it's over, our little Eddie sneaks out of his little hidey hole. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt and Melanie are having a argument. You know, they're having the requisite makeup conversation of like, I really care about you. And then Eddie just pops up next to them as if because he, he's just been crouching there during their whole romantic speech. And Mom. like three stooges knocks their heads together. I kind of would have loved if there was a coconut sound effect yeah. here. It yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say, yeah, or a fucking comedy timpani to the boing. And so here's why I disagree with everything you guys just said about the <laughs> next scene. Continue. Like, well, 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 I will say though that like that like part of it is that like Kurt's big redeeming speech with Mel here is such a fucking fart. What in the actual fuck? <laughs> yeah. because, because that is some bullshit. Because that's not his redemption moment. No, he doesn't have a redemption moment, No, no, Casey. he does. He absolutely does. No, I have he, a counter argument to this when you talk about this later. <laughs> no, his redemption moment for at least the movie I was watching was not that moment. That moment, like everything else, was a fart douchey bro dude setup to what is the tragic punchline the scene before was a like grizzly chainsaw murder death then a joking like baseball shoved down the throat like like pageantry death the next scene the deaths are not over the top they're a hanging slicing a wrist and an electric chair, the way that we, for a long time, doled out the death penalty, the way that we punished transgressors. These three deaths are not over the top in a horror movie sense. They're chilling in a very real, genuine sense. And what is brilliant is there is no like screaming for help from anyone except Kurt. And there are shots of Kurt screaming when he sees what he thinks to be Melanie getting her wrist slit, which I was sure was like, yeah, you're dead. There's, again, a beautiful wide-angle lens shot of him just, like, screaming and doing a better performance than anyone else at the movie at selling, like, terror, loss. His redemption is not the bullshit speech he gives. The redemption is realizing his own death, like, coming to grips with the abject horror of his own demise. And this death wasn't, like, a horror movie death. These deaths were, like real as shit and slow and that's what i mean where it's like i felt like this is where it lost momentum because but that's momentum in if the momentum is heading towards this is supposed to be an over-the-top no, evil dead-esque no, silly no, no, horror no, no. movie not, this, not, this that's was... not, but that's not what i'm saying like i'm saying momentum because we know that they're gonna live Just, i didn't genre speaking if this movie if they had killed their main characters here then we would be having a different story mm -hmm. but the overwhelming majority of movies like this presents a situation where your main characters are in considerable and utterable peril to which you can't imagine a way out and yet they they get it 
And the thing with this was just like torture wasn't fun or over the top. The rescue wasn't heroic or interesting. And so it ended up being like a 10 minute scene of waiting for it to happen, Mm -hmm. which I thought undercut the, the oomph of it because nothing happened that was surprising. Nothing happened that was particularly narratively interesting because we've already seen this happen just with different characters. It felt like the worst scenes of like a hostel where mm-hmm. you're like, yes, mm. we're going through these sort of torture motions. Whereas in, uh, I would argue the first scene with it is like the good scenes in hostel, which yeah. is this black comedy, these set pieces where things get ratcheted, ratcheted, ratcheted. And then the second time it's like, we're not given like any motivation from anybody that is different or divergent. It's just like we're waiting for them to either die or get free. And I just found that to be a letdown based on the ways that this movie has kind of circumvented some of the like questions where like, I don't really know where it's going. And at this point, this was the point where I was like, well, I know exactly where it's going now. Totally agree. Yeah. What makes this different is that like all of them live. (laughs) I mean, I am surprised Bentley lived, honestly. It's not, this isn't just that Jamie Lee Curtis like gets out. This isn't just like the the girl runs out in the street covered in blood screaming and is like the last one saved. None of our main characters die in this movie. But we don't care about any of them. Like it's only sad when likable people die? In film, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we also don't really tackle that. Like no. that's like an aspect of it, but that's not inherently interesting. There's no aftermath. There, there, I, there's zero aftermath. Yeah, there's no discussion of like, holy shit, I can't believe we all lived. Because like, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the last shot of the movie, but there is no repercussions to them all living. Like, we don't get that scene of the catharsis of, like, we all survived this. And, Greg, I totally agree. They set up this really interesting, elaborate showmanship of the first kill room. And the second kill room is such a letdown. Yeah, like, either super guignol or it just had to take a different type of turn. And then them getting free is just, like, somebody being like, oh, it's real. It's Hanks, by the way. It's Hanks. (sighs) Yeah, the hero. Our hero! I don't understand how many more examples you need of this guy being cool and awesome to like him. Again, I love Hanks. Part of it is that he just says what everyone in the scenes has also been said. Like, that's what I mean where it's just like, it just felt kind of like that they ratchet up and they were like, this is good. And then they didn't have a second payoff. This movie is setups and payoffs. And that was a lackluster payoff. I did feel paid off. The reason why it works where everyone else hasn't is because he's on the other side of the fence. And suddenly the audience, us, are being introduced to the idea of like, this isn't entertainment, people are dying. (laughs) Oh my God, panic, running, panic, running, running, running. And then the movie reminds us, actually, yes, this is very much entertainment. None of them died, everyone, (laughs) everyone lived. Here's how I would do this scene better to make it more effective. Uh, Hanks comes in, starts yelling, it's real, it's really real. The crowd doesn't react because why would they? Uh, And instead what happens is Kurt gets free and starts to fight back against Eddie. And suddenly there's a fight inside of the kill room. And then people start to freak out. 
even better, end of the scene with the with the crowd going wild. Yeah, mm, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they don't freak out until like Hanks and the other frat boys come in and start fighting Eddie and like then they realize, wait, 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 what? <laughs> yeah. Their immediate turn of like, oh, someone outside the cage said this is real, it must be real, is so pointless and repetitive. I I disagree. We don't have to harp on it, but I just think that like it's not just in the dialogue. It's in the situation. It's in the setting. It's the fact that this has been a movie where we've seen fake horror, fake horror, fake horror. The fact that the last room is really happening and it takes someone outside the cage to say it to break the audience into thinking, oh yeah, it is real. I mean, it also helps that it turns out that human heads look just like latex. Like, like <laughs> That is nice. I mean, it's helpful for Eddie that our guts actually do just look like uh, wet... <laughs> Paper towels. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Hanks runs in with the flamethrower. Check off blowtorch, baby. Tells everyone it's real. Everyone freaks out. Uh, he flamethrowers down Bentley off of his noose, which was kind of awesome. <laughs> there must have been a better way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. The most effective way is clearly to flamethrower the noose, the very it's flammable the, rope. It's the quickest at the moment. <laughs> do untie that knot. No. Eddie starts to run away uh, into his hidey hole, and Hanks shoots the flamethrower after him. If you didn't like Hanks, and I'm looking at you, Josh, <laughs> like, like, there's no way that you said I got him. I cooked him like one of uh, Mama's home cooked biscuits. Is not lyrical poetry. It's yeah. a pretty good line. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I really don't know what else Hanks has to do for you. He like goes and gets a flamethrower, shoots it at the monster. I like and this. It, like, this and is where I like Hanks. Out. I again, yeah. like this is part of the movie I really love. But Eddie doesn't die. He escapes to his van and starts driving off. This is my favorite character point for Kurt, which is what I was going to say in terms of him not having a redemption moment, is he's cradling Mel, who is it looks like still barely alive and he's like saying, right. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry and he sees that Eddie drives off and just goes, you're gonna be okay, Mel and like <laughs> drops her and chases him. People don't change. Kurt grabs a shotgun from the cop car that's pulled up the sheriff, runs after the van. This is where we get the shot of Eddie driving the car he takes off his mask and we see that he's older and also like disfigured what anyone know what that was every scene eddie has a different halloween mask when he kills people and at the very end as he's driving away he takes off the mask and at least to me he just looked like a dude but he was disfigured yeah i thought one side of his face was like burnt or something i don't think so well, i think he was just like a guy with big long red hair and a mustache he looked like your plumber no he's no, no, like he burnt. Is, he's, he's burnt. solidly burnt well that's also because he just got hit with a flamethrower but the mask, but the isn't, mask burnt. isn't burnt <laughs> well that's i think that that is that's just a mistake okay that's fair look he's got no shortage of them maybe he put on a new one <laughs> he put on a new one yeah <laughs> That's great. He had okay. to go get the van. It was like Cynthia Rothrock and Guardian Angels just yeah. had to go home real quick and do, do, a, yeah. do a quick change. He had to look good for the last shot. Kurt shoots the van and it explodes. Awesome. And then it keeps driving. No, no, that is not what it does. No. He shoots a van from yards away yeah. with a shotgun. It immediately explodes. It's a great shot. Which, great which shot. Uh, assumes that this was a, an all Flint VW bus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which doesn't seem like it worked out very well. He stands there watching the like flaming burning wreck 
and then it drives away. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> He's alive and still su- this motor is still chugging. You know, you can't and kill those that the VW. Car still like, runs. That is a yeah. damn good vehicle. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a well-made car. And then we fade out. That's, that's yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute, oh, no, Josh. I was, I was into that. Josh, no way you can con- even convince yourself that that's a lame ending. It's a pretty lame ending. How dare you? Guys, this is insane. Now I know I you're fucking with I loved this movie, and me. I'm still like, eh, you no. know. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want to end a movie? After you want math. I want aftermath. Oh, sh- no, the, the aftermath is he keeps going. Death keeps going. It keeps happening everywhere. <laughs> it is the ultimate. It's the apotheosis. It isn't, you, you know what's a lame ending for a villain he falls out a window and then he's gone fuck you mike myers eddie blows up in a van and drives the burning van away i would accept this even if it was a reverse shot of kurt staring in disbelief covered in blood with the shotgun the crackling flames and the vehicles sound riding into the background i would even accept that oh that would have been so good it just goes Motherfucker. <laughs> no, the, what would have been brilliant, what would have made this movie a classic of all time is if in that last moment the van turned around and started driving back <laughs> and then it cuts yes. to Kurt and then cut to black. Uh, that that would have been, been that also would have awesome. been good. Paul Kersey from the Death Wish movies just puts a hand on his, on his there he goes, there will be another next time. <laughs> yeah. I've been talking this pod, my hands wet on the mic, bing a ling ding 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 And I'm dying to start to hear uh, this ride. It's the rip-off report card, the rip-off report card. It's the rip-off report card, report card. Come on, hear the stuff from Greg! <laughs> The Haunted Weed and Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by Top Hill Aluminum Siding and Ducts. We've got killer deals for you to get all of your ducts in a row. <laughs> the underlying theme of our October movies is interesting, if unintended, when we originally picked them. Like Forever Evil and Shadow Creature, Haunted Ween was pretty much the only movie that any of its creators ever graced us with. Over the last decade or so, Haunted Ween has been semi-rediscovered and recovered from obscurity by adventurous horror heads searching for regional horror's unturned stones. Director Doug Robertson saw a surge enough to produce a new 20th anniversary DVD of the film, but sadly passed away in June at the young age of 56, so scoring another copy or getting another movie out of Doug seems itself unlikely. His cinematic legacy lives on in this soul film, his sixth screenplay, and the only one that he wrote to purposefully make himself on a low budget and make it shootable. He was living in LA and, like many burgeoning filmmakers, couldn't sell a script. So he had the idea for Haunted Ween while in the shower and pumped out a script to shoot at his alma mater, Western Kentucky University, also the alma mater of 80s horror icon John Carpenter. Hmm. What? Nice. He knew that he could get a few weeks of free labor from the students and faculty and scrape together $60,000 in cash and $100,000 in deferred payments to shoot this 16 millimeter masterpiece. Apparently, Robertson didn't like horror movies, but thought it sellable. But when he returned to LA with his product in hand, 
He was offered three distribution deals, none of which featured upfront cash, which he surmised would mean that he would never get paid. So he (laughs) ultimately self-distributed the movie, producing and schlepping tapes to conferences and conventions, eventually selling 2,000 units nationwide. Even that wasn't enough, as he was last to be compensated. So, with his legacy intact, he moved back to Bowling Green, Kentucky, got into medical supply sales, and led a normal life until his death. In 2015 or so, Haunted Ween 2, which is promised by the end credits if you stuck around, was pitched, promoted, and even had an Indiegogo campaign, raising a whopping $385 (laughs) of its proposed (laughs) meager budget of $10,000. And it seems to have been totally abandoned. Oh, Uh, bummer. It wouldn't have been a project for Robertson, but of career 80s rebooter Dustin Ferguson, who helmed such far-flung sequels as Legacy of Boggy Creek, which is the sequel to Legend of Boggy Creek. What? Silent Night, Bloody Night 2, made 43 years after the original, and he also served for the editor for Return to Sleepaway Camp, (laughs) which was made more than 15 years after the last Sleepaway Camp. The right time. See Seemingly, Ferguson was also quick to capitalize on our current 2020 situation, somehow making and releasing 13 features this year. Hell yes. Of which the particularly timely 5G Zombies is among. Oh good, he's a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) And that has been our Haunted Ween ripoff report card. Die to start. Die to start, die to start with our final thoughts. <laughs> all right, guys, that was a contentious lesson. Uh, let's remember that debate is all academic and uh, we all love each other. <laughs> Kisses, Josh, please. It's most important. <laughs> it's the worst Foley work I've ever done. So, guys, with that, what are our final thoughts on Haunted Ween? What might end up on the final test? If you ever get invited to open a haunted house on a property that sounds like someone with a bunch of marbles in their mouth saying murder, (laughs) it's probably best to just stay away. (laughs) The Marble House! It sounds like someone in a full body cast in a Naked Gun movie trying to point out the murder. (laughs) This movie was shot around Bowling Green, Kentucky, which maybe makes this the infamous Bowling Green Massacre that Kellyanne Conway spoke of once upon a time. We've cracked it. Wow. God. What if what if Kellyanne Conway is a huge super duper horror nerd? Right? I hope so. Kellyanne, we want you on the show. Kellyanne, if you're listening. Do not reach out to us. Kellyanne's Kellyanne, daughter, reach out you to, may reach out to us. Uh, Kellyanne, reach out to at Jamie Kennedy at everything on all social medias. Turns out fraternity handshakes. Not that secret. Pretty easy. God, I could guess them. In lieu of my final thoughts, I'd like to play some more of the, an extended amount of the theme from Haunted Ween. <laughs> <laughs> you yield your time for Haunted Ween. Let a little bit more time play on that sweet, sweet theme song. <laughs> Classmates, we have survived Schlocktober. 
Thank you for your perfect attendance record. Treat yourself to some fun-sized candy. Thank you so much to Philip Marlowe, who plays the teacher, Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra, and Gabriella Tessatore of Scout Harris for the theme music. Thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for additional music in this episode. Justin Ferrero of The Rizzos did our bed music and sound mixing. Thanks to Ann Shearer for our logo. And thanks to the entire Video High crew, Greg Hansen, Casey Regan, Josh Roth, and me, Jamie Kennedy. Tune in next time when you get two movies for the price of one. The Power of Ninjutsu, the stories of a white ninja tracking and killing down other white ninjas, and the son of a crime boss seeking revenge and honor for his assassinated father, and the very tiny Venn diagram between them where they intersect. Listen to Video High on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember this Halloween to mask up, both for costume and pandemic purposes. You know what? Psycho killer. Keska say. What is it? What is it to be a psycho killer? And I think that's what this movie is ultimately about. Up, up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network.